welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Woof Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me again today. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every single Wednesday, and you are going to want to check them out. Now, you can also find me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. And if you're looking for even more dog training content, you can support the show today. Become a Patreon at patreon.com slash speakadogcast. And hey, if the visual thing is more your thing, you can also find me on YouTube as well. If you love what you're hearing, guys, do me a favor. Take a moment, scroll on down, click that five-star rating, leave me a review. I'd love to hear what you're thinking. If you're on YouTube, click that thumbs up button. Do me a huge favor, guys. Leave that review, click that rating. I would really, really, really appreciate it. Thank you guys so much. Now, on today's show, we have to talk about hurricane preparedness with your pets. It's a very important topic. It affects a lot of people all up and down the East Coast of the United States, the Gulf area, uh, Gulf region, you know, Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, everybody, guys, it really has a profound impact. So you want to make sure you're prepared. Maybe there's some things you haven't thought about for being prepared with your dog. So check out that segment. Then we have traveling with your dog. Everybody's bringing their dogs everywhere with them. And we'll talk more about that. Then comes the history of Animal Mascots 101. Yes, our newest segment to the show. We talk about all of the amazing history of animal mascots in colleges and universities around the country. It's really fantastic. Then we're going to have our listener Q&A. And if you guys have questions for the listener Q&A, you can keep sending them my way. Email me, questions at speakadogcast.com, or feel free to just message me on social media. Now, before we get going with today's show, I have to give you that trivia question. Today's question is going to be, what is the difference between a turtle and a tortoise? Yes, what is the difference between a turtle and a tortoise? I will give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's show. So be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the podcast. Next on Speak a Dogcast, hurricane preparedness with your pets. Now, it's not just for us Floridians down here. This is really for everybody along the eastern coast of the United States. Look, all the way up to New Jersey. Let me look at that one hurricane that hit a couple years ago. Eh, Gulf Coast region. You know, all these areas. That is a lot of people, a lot of space, a lot of area that can be hit and affected by a hurricane. So you got to be prepared. Look, I'm born and raised Floridian here, right? I'm from Orlando. That's where I was raised. I live in South Florida now. And hurricanes are one of those things where it's just, it's like snow to northerners, you know? It's something that's going to happen at some point. You've got to be prepared for it. And unfortunately, bad things can come with uh, these natural disasters as well. So it's all about being prepared. It's all about knowing what to expect, having the right supplies, having the right tools. That's what's going to help you out when it comes to hurricanes with your pets. Now, again, living in Florida, I've learned a lot. I have learned a lot over the years about hurricanes, right? And we've learned a lot about hurricane parties over the years and that Floridians love to drink during hurricanes, but that's the irresponsible side. What about the responsible stuff? Uh, look, you know, it's it's not an easy thing to go through a bad hurricane. And, you know, knock on wood, I'm very grateful uh, that my family, we've been able to dodge some of the worst hurricanes in history in this state. But, you know, even for myself, like I, uh, when I went to school, when I went to college, my, <laughs> my my freshman year of packing for college was done in the dark with no air conditioning. Middle of August. Um, it was awful. It was brutal. That was 
that was uh, 2004 when, and I, you know, honestly, guys, over the, I forget all the names of the hurricanes. I'm terrible with names to begin with, and then add in a, a storm <laughs> and all of them over the years, and I don't remember. Uh, but that was the one where we had like two or three come at us and hit the state of Florida, and one actually, two of them came through Stewart, Florida, which is near where I live now. Um, so look, we're no stranger to hurricanes, and you, you, you really, you learn a lot over the years and what to expect, what to know. And again, I implore you, this is not just for the Floridian, this, this segment. This is important for everybody up and down the East Coast and everybody in the Gulf Coast, okay? This is a reality of life now. We, we have hurricanes and of life now. It's been always. Uh, <laughs> so we got to be prepared. Better to uh, have too many supplies and be prepared than not enough. So let's, let's, let's just get into it, right? For myself, I have to consider not only uh, my wife and I, right? Both of us. We have to not only consider ourselves in being prepared. But our pets too. Look, as I've got I've, for for dogs, I got four of them. I got four dogs. I got a cat, horse, etc. Uh, so it's a lot to think about and a lot to be prepared for. So when we talk about having um, preparedness for a hurricane, what's the first supply? You all know it. What's the very first supply we've got to make sure we have on hand? It's water. Yeah, it's water. There has to be enough water for myself, for everybody in your household, and there has to be enough water for the pets. Now, funny enough, I'm sitting here going, boy, I should have done the calculation for um, human water consumption because <laughs> I didn't. I'm like, ah, forget the people. Let's concentrate on the dogs to make sure they're safe. So I have those numbers, of course, but <laughs> I don't remember the, the the human ones and how much water we need per day. It's a lot, especially, look, you got to consider that when this hurricane comes in, not only are you not going to have water, you're most likely not going to have power. And if you don't have power, you don't have AC, and it's going to be August, September, potentially, it's going to be hot. So you're going to go through more water, as are your pets, than on any average day. Now, look, the basic rule of thumb is that like a 50-pound dog, they're going to need about a quarter of a gallon of water per day, okay? Now, I always like to overestimate. That's just my personal preference. I prefer to have more than not enough when it comes to emergency supplies. So a 50-pound dog, again, is going to need about a quarter of a gallon of water per day. Now, we can also look at that as 24 ounces of water for a dog, uh, for a 20-pound dog per day, 24 ounces of water for a 20-pound dog. We can start multiplying, doing the calculations, and you can easily figure out very quickly what your dog is going to need per day for water. Now, again, I got to multiply mine, not only for one dog, but times four. Now, luckily, I have a chihuahua. She's not going to drink a ton of water per day, but then we also have the, you know, my blue tick coonhound, golden retriever, my mutt riker who's sitting behind me. So, yeah, he's over there. I don't know if you can see him. You can't. Camera's no, No, can't really see him. Anyway, point is, guys, got to consider this. And then on top of that, my horse. Now, the good news is when a hurricane comes, it's going to drop a ton of water. <laughs> so there's that for the horse outside. Um, but we have to like make sure the trough is full. Granted, again, the water should take care of that. But we may even put out an extra thing of water to collect. So that way, I ensure he's good for at least a couple days, right? Um, so yeah, that water supply is very important. You know, it's funny, a few years ago, before we moved down here, there was that uh, was it? A, I think it might have been a Category Five. It was. It was coming pretty much straight at us. And at that point, my wife and I were even talking about where we evacuate to in our evacuation plan and making that whole thing. And um, I took. It's on my Insta. One of my Instagram. I don't know. It's on there somewhere. Where I took a video of me. I mean, just <laughs> the line of supplies of water and food and dog food and bowls and litter box and all these things we had to take into consideration. So we're gonna get into that as well. Uh, but again, guys, the water, just go back to that for a moment. Make sure you are calculating this correctly and having the ac uh, accurate amount of water supplied for yourselves and your pets. Now, food. Look, they usually say that food for yourself, like a 10 to 14 day supply is not a bad idea because look, when hurricanes come, not only do you lose power, not only can there be flooding, but we can, we're can. we also talking about downed trees. I remember when I lived in Orlando, um, 
when I was in high school, that, that those bad storms, it, it put so many trees in the streets that, I mean, I think it was like three to four weeks before we had, we knew we could get around. I mean, honestly, you would run into, you'd run into dead ends all the time because there'd still be trees down because it is, it was that much. So you need to take into consideration that you may not be able to access the grocery store. For that matter, the grocery store may have limited supplies because the supply chain can't get access to them. So 10 to 14 day supply of food for yourselves. How about your dogs? To me, when I hit the month of May, that's when I start ordering an extra bag of food. When I go up to the feed store for the horse, you know, normally I buy four bags at a time. This time I'm bagging, uh, buying five until I have a good extra supply for my horse in the corner. And that fifth bag goes in the corner and I don't touch it. Okay. So that's what we start doing in May. That's, that's our plan. Same thing with the dog food. I make sure I order an extra bag or two of dog food, uh, for myself, you know, I 10 to 14 days. Yeah. One giant bag will get us there, but I'm going to have two on hand. That's just my, again, I like to overdo it with my preparedness. So think about that. Not only the 10 to 14 day supply of food for yourselves, but for your pets as well, making sure you're buying extra guys. Very important. Also, another good idea is to have some watertight containers around. Um, you know, it may not be a bad idea to split up your dog food into a few, few containers and put them in different places in the house. I mean, I know this sounds like, oh my gosh, David, you're, you're prepared. Yeah. What happens if you have a tree fall in your garage and that's where you kept all your pet's food? Now what? Okay, so these are the things you kind of learn over the years when living in Florida, the stories you hear about where other people said, oh, man, I put my whole supply in this one part of the house and all of our food was gone. Um, just something to consider when it comes to a hurricane, guys. Hey, it's scary stuff. You know, the, the, the upside of a hurricane is we get the warning. The downside is it's a hurricane and it can bring a mess of crap, wind, flooding, hail, tornadoes. I mean, hurricanes are just nasty nasty beasts. Okay. All right. So food, what about medications? Medications for yourself, of course, but what about your pet meds? Same thing, guys, your veterinarian is going to be in the same boat you are. <laughs> you know, they're going to be trapped or cleaning up their own mess in their yard and their house, and they may not have power and they have to be. So your veterinarian may not be able to get back into the office to supply those prescriptions as quickly as they would like. Maybe once again, supply chain, they may not be able to get the medications delivered to their office. So these are things you need to be taking into consideration before the hurricane. Get more than enough meds for your pet so you don't have to worry about it for at least two weeks, okay? Again, I, 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 you know, actually, really, it's a month. I mean, I say two weeks. You really should be prepared more for like a month because it's medications, guys. Overdo it, okay? Make sure you have more than enough. That we're talking, you know, necessary medications, whether your dog's older and they have heart medication or even just joint medication. It's going to be important. What about flea and tick meds? Again, guys, hurricanes, power's out. It's hot, it's muggy, ton of rain, there's gonna be mosquitoes, there's gonna be ticks, there's gonna be fleas. Make sure your dogs have their meds with them and that they're up to date on everything so when that hurricane comes, you're good to go. Okay, other things we wanna consider for hurricane preparedness, what about microchips? Are the microchips up to date? If your dog is microchipped, is the information on that microchip up to date and matching your address currently, your information, your phone number? Double check those things, guys. Make sure you go sign into those websites of the microchips, find out what's going on, find out where that info is, and make sure you're up to date. Of course, we want to talk about shots as well. Your dogs need to be up to date on them. I mean, they should be up to date on them. Guys, I'm wagging my finger at you. Your dog should be up to date on their shots all the time. It shouldn't take a natural disaster coming in and go, oh my gosh, we need to go get Fluffy his rabies shot. Please don't do Please keep your pets up to date on their shots year-round, not just a hurricane preparedness. How about a copy of the records of those vaccinations. 
Very important. Take those va uh, vaccination records and make sure you put them somewhere dry and safe, whether it's inside a Ziploc bag, a uh, waterproof container, things like that. Again, very, very highly recommend you think about keeping everything watertight. Now the tags, make sure your dog's uh, name tags and the information on the tags, that's all up to date as well. They have the rabies tag on. How about leashes and collars? Let's make sure we have everything ready to go on our dog. Slip leashes is another tool, honestly guys, you should be keeping around during a hurricane. A slip leash, a pack of them, like three or four slip leashes, even if you only have one dog, not a bad idea because think about this. Let's see the hurricane comes, it causes some damage. You guys are fine. Your dog is fine. We go outside, we're assessing, and all of a sudden we see a couple loose dogs. It's good to have those slip leashes because you might need to help out your neighbors, help out your friends, and get a poor dog that's scared and loose and you know got out during the hurricane, during the storm. So it's a good idea to keep a couple of those slip leashes around, not just for your dog, but for other dogs as well, because they're really easy to use, really easy to just slip over, boom, leash on, good to go. We don't need a collar, okay? Now, some people talk about the peeing inside thing, right? Like, what do we do during a storm? Because sometimes a storm can last for 14, 15 hours. Um, can, you know? Yeah, you got the eye of the storm, depending on where you're, it's hitting and all that. But what do you do if your dog needs to use the bathroom in the middle of the storm? Now, look, my take is on this. Years ago, we tried, <laughs> we tried the grass inside. And I'll be honest, guys, my dogs didn't care. They didn't want to use it. They didn't want to go because it's an instinctual thing. Dogs can sense the barometric pressure fluctuating. And when a hurricane comes in, that, that barometric pressure drops so much. It's just like animals in the wild. They have this instinct to flee away from the coast, you know, certain speed. They, they know to hunker down, get away, whatever the case may be. Um, they can sense it coming. And it's the same thing with your dogs. They're going to sense that coming. And so as long as you get them out before the hurricane... Look, I mean, yeah, sure, there's the exception of your dog might be really little, and yeah, this is one of those exceptions that a pee pad might not be a bad idea, but I have found that my dogs are not even interested in using the bathroom during a hurricane. They're not. They're just hunkered down, they're calm, they're not scared or anything, but you can tell there's, there's, there's this instinctual knowledge that it's like, it's not safe to go outside and use the bathroom right now, I'm good. <laughs> like, so that's my take on the whole putting grass inside and whatever for a storm, you know. Um, with that, what about supplies for cleaning up messes? Don't forget that too, because maybe your dog, it's a, this storm just, look, sometimes these hurricanes come in and they just sit there. They, they just sit on top of you and it doesn't stop for hours and hours and hours and hours. So maybe your dog does have an accident. Remember to have supplies on hand for that as well, okay? Um, life jackets, guys. Life jackets are a great idea. They really, really are. You wanna have a life jacket for your dog. If you're in an area that's maybe prone to flooding, you live on a lake, um, anything like that, it's not a bad idea to consider having a life jacket for your dog. So, you know, God forbid, it does flood. Uh, worst case scenario situations, you're at least more prepared for it, okay? It gives people a visual in the water to be able to spot your dog. It also is gonna help keep your dog afloat, obviously, right? It, it, there, there's no downsides to it. So make sure you have a doggy life vest on hand as well. Now, one other tip that I had, I think I added this in last year, um, you know, solar lights. Something maybe you hadn't thought of, solar yard lights. They're very cheap. They're easy to go put out in the ground and charge. And instead of having flashlights and having to keep so many batteries around and everything like that, you can actually use a solar yard light for your house if the power goes out. Right? Like, yeah, that's kind of smart. Um, I kind of liked that one. So if you have solar yard lights, you can easily use them during a hurricane inside. Right? Um, so again, a little something to think about. Now, I talked about it a little bit about evacuating. Um, how my wife and I had, you know, we, we, we were considering that option a few years back when we were in Orlando and one of these bad storms came in and 
look, it's something that you don't want to have to do, but you might have to do. So this is where I always go back to crating because in the worst case scenario that you do have to evacuate in a hurricane, you might have to go to a shelter. You might have to rent an Airbnb home that uh, doesn't allow dogs or requires your dog to be crated if you're not there. Or you might be going to a friend's um, or a family member's house and they don't really want your dog there so your dog needs to be crated. This is my big PSA on crating, guys. Not only is crating good for training, you know, from the training perspective, all that aside, behavior aside, the crate can be your best friend for emergency situations like this. If your dog is not comfortable with being crated and all of a sudden you have to evacuate to a strange place and you're throwing them in the crate, that's probably going to make your dog anxious, you know, if they're not used to it. So I highly recommend crating from day one with your dog, puppy, whatever. Day one, you should start crate training your dog. Does that mean I want you to crate train at home all the time under normal circumstances? No, eventually I want to get away from the crate. But it's one of those things where if you train it correctly, you condition it correctly, then you can bring a crate back out years later and your dog will accept it and it's no big deal. Again, for these emergency situations, it's vital that your dog be crate trained. You should have seen the video we had. I mean, we had like, you know, four crates <laughs> lined up, ready to go to take with us in that emergency trip we were prepared to take, okay? So even my own dogs, I might need a crate for them at some point. So they're always gonna be crate trained, okay? We got to throw that out there. Now, another thing is I would highly recommend you guys make a list. Make a list for, for your evacuation before the storm comes. Well, before the storm comes, make an evacuation list. Have all of these items we just talked about today on there, okay? Um, we can do a preparedness and a, uh, a supply list. And, you know, have two different lists. And the prepared list comes out, you know, did, hey, are, is this all up to date? Do we have all the all the info up to date? That's the, that's the checklist. And then we have the supply list where it's very easy to know what we need to pack, what we need to bring. Make sure you don't forget anything so you can just check it off as you go. Okay, this, this includes things even like water bowls for your dog. Maybe the collapsible water bowls uh, for when we're traveling. Toys, blankets. Um, again, the crate. These things are very important to take into consideration beforehand because when an emergency arises, guys, you're not going to be in the best state of mind. That's just the reality of it. Uh, we all get a little panicky. How could you not? And so it's important that you're prepared beforehand. All right. So it's a lot. It, it Look, like I said, honestly, it is a huge undertaking for my wife and I. Uh, we do, we've got a five acre property and so it's, it's making sure all the fence boards are secured <laughs> around the whole property in the pasture, the barn is, you know, everything in the barn is secured. We have to get our hurricane shutters up and make sure all of our hurricane shutters are in working order. All the hardware for the hurricane shutters is there. Then there's all the preparedness for ourselves between food, medications, uh, uh, water, gasoline for the generator, make sure the generator's operational year round. We have to start the generator once a month to keep it going. I mean, it doesn't stop when we are preparing for a hurricane. It's, it, it is a little bit of a year-round thing, but when we start hitting May, it's time to supercharge that and making sure we're prepared because I don't want your pets to, 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 to suffer. You know, I don't want them to suffer the consequences because you weren't prepared. I'm just being real. Uh, look, how about for cats real quick? It might not be a bad idea to consider getting a second litter box, a backup litter box that you don't use during the year. It's just ready to go. It's ready to go. It's in a box of your hurricane supplies. That way, when it's time to go, boom. Kitty's got her stuff, okay? Like, uh, these things, you just, you've got to consider them before the storm come, guy, comes. I, I implore you. Um, you know, being responsible, being smart, being safe, it keeps you safe, right? Keeps you safe, so do it. 
be prepared. <laughs> all right. But I hope all that info helps out today. I know it's a lot, uh, but be prepared with drugs. To me, the most important thing to consider, the most important things to consider, first of all, are food, water, and medications. That's Those, those three are the ones you've really got to think about more than anything for yourselves and for your pets. Now, of course, there's all the other supplies that go along with it, but I think the other biggest important thing to think about when it comes to hurricane preparedness is your evacuation plan. Do you have one? Do you know where you're going? And do you have everything in order to help you get there. All right, guys. So prepare, be smart, be safe, and good luck out there during this year's hurricane season. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? Well, we can help. At The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Our virtual training programs are catered to you and your pet and create a training plan that gets results. For more information, you can check out our website at www.thenatureoftraining.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. With the ability to connect, teach, and train with pet owners around the world, together we can make a better home for our furry friends. The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next on Speak a Dogcast, traveling with your dog. It's summertime, summertime. Yes, it is. So it's summertime fun, time to travel, and everybody wants to take their dog everywhere with them. And I'm going to be the first person to tell you, don't. <laughs> I love dogs, guys. I am a huge dog lover, but I am the first person to say, stop bringing your dogs every freaking place you go. I'm seeing them at the grocery store now. Do we really need to bring our dogs into the grocery store? I watch people put them in the grocery cart and they sit in the grocery cart and their butt that they just had diarrhea out of two years ago is sitting in the bottom of the grocery cart where we all put our food. Yeah, I, I look, I say to the people who are like, oh, we can't use plastic for produce. You want to put your produce on a dog butt counter? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it's gross. It's disgusting. Stop bringing your dogs to the grocery store, guys. Now, that's not traveling, but isn't it kind of the stepping off point, right? We have to bring our dogs everywhere with us. It's my baby. It's my child. I don't have kids. It's my... No, guys. It's a dog, and you need to get over it. It's a dog. I love them so much. I made a career out of it, but for crying out loud, it's a dog. Okay, it's a dog. And I love bringing my dogs out to places that, that are dog friendly, that accept it, and that my dogs are well behaved when we do it, which is the biggest reason I don't want dogs out in public. Um, so <laughs> I'm, I'm the first one to say it. I don't think my dogs need to come with me every single place I go. And especially when I'm on vacation, Part of it is, yeah, I make a living out of it, so it is nice to not have to take a dog out every single morning. <laughs> it's, it's nice to not have to go for the walk. It's Sure, I do, and don't get me wrong, I love my walks with my dogs, but it's nice to take a break. It's nice to turn off, and that's the point, guys. I don't understand why you want to bring your dog with you literally everywhere you go. Okay, first of all, and look, I'll, I'm going to tell a little story. This story took place a long time ago. Not that long ago, but long enough ago that I think it's time to tell the story. I'm going to tell a tale. 
<laughs> at a restaurant a long time ago at a nearby place called Stewart, Florida. Uh, <laughs> all right, I'm being ridiculous. I'm going to stop. But seriously, seriously, went out to a restaurant. Um, gosh, I mean, I, look, this is off the top of my head, so I'm, like, I'm, I'm remembering what went down exactly. I think I'm just going to try to put it in a nutshell here. Basically, in a nutshell, uh, we're at a hibachi-style restaurant, and there is a table next to us where this woman has her dog, and it's literally, she's holding it up like basically it's on the table, and she, I mean, she put it on the table. She, yeah, that's right. She put it on the table. All right, all right. I can't remember every detail. So I'm just going to give you the nutshell that this woman has a dog all over a table in a restaurant, guys. Okay. It's clearly not a service animal. It's clearly just there because she wants it to be. It's a purse dog. Like that. You can just read the situation. It's a purse dog. Okay. And I said something to the staff and they said, oh, well, it's a service dog. I said, guys, the dog is literally being fed on the table right now. What service is it providing? Oh, sir, I can't, I can't. And I love it. We can't say anything anymore. That dog is is literally like, guys, just stay with me a second. The restaurant could literally lose their license over this. It's an it's an OSHA violation. For those of you not familiar with OSHA, it's the Occupational Self uh, Safety and Hazard Administration. I worked in the theme park industry too long and hospitality industry too long that I know all this. Um, that's the reality. Like, I, I it's, it's, it, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know why I need to explain why a dog's butt on a table in a restaurant is not okay. Like, I can't even believe it. And, and at hibachi style. So she's sitting at a table with people she doesn't know. <laughs> like, you can't make this crap up. And then at one point, she even proceeded to go over to a clean table, put the dog on there. Because the dog was being fidgety, didn't want to listen. It was not trained clearly in the slightest. That's right. All oh, coming back to me. Okay, she put the dog's ass on a clean table. And I literally said to them, I said, guys... You need to clean that table again. And no one would have any clue from the rest of the table. But this is the reason we don't need to bring our dogs everywhere with us. Now, I know this isn't the point of this segment today, but I had to do my little PSA. Um, it was just an unreal moment for me where I'm like, this is this is a problem. Everybody thinks they're entitled to bring their pets everywhere. And I'm the first to tell you not to. However, <laughs> I myself, I love going to the mountains. I love taking my dogs to the mountains. I love going hiking in the mountains. But do you know what I do when I do this? One, I make sure I'm not breaking the rules of the place that I'm staying, which we were not. Number two, I come prepared to make sure I have everything for my dog that they need. Number three, I make sure I clean up after my dogs and they make messes. Number four, um, I obey all leash laws and rules in the areas. Number five, I've trained my dogs so they're well adapted to do this and, and go on trails and be around people and dogs and not have problems. And you see my point. It's a little different than taking your dog to the local restaurant. It's a little different than bringing your dog to the grocery store. It's a little different than going to vacation at Disney World, dropping your dog in the room, and you take off to the uh, to the parks. And meanwhile, the housekeeper comes in and tries to clean your room, and the dog tries to bite them. And I wish I was making that up, but that is true. So this is the point, guys. If you are doing it responsibly, I'm all for traveling with your dog. Now, in a nutshell, again, we've got to make sure we're prepared for traveling with our dog. So let's say we are taking a road trip. Got to make sure you have everything you need. Got to make sure you have enough food. Got to make sure you have the medications, right? Just like the hurricane preparedness we just talked about. We have to make sure we have enough medications for our pets because not every veterinarian, as a matter of fact, I don't know of any veterinarians that are just going to willy-nilly want to write your dog a script in some other state that you don't live in, um, having never met your dog and never assessed them. So be sure you have the right medications for your dog from your veterinarian before you leave for that trip. I personally think the best way to uh, go on a trip with your dog is a road trip. I'll be honest, guys. 
I'm not really a fan of flying dogs. You know, look, it's one thing if you're going on a private chartered plane and, you know, you have that kind of setup, then by all means. But I personally would never, ever, and this is just, this is just me. I would never, ever, 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 you couldn't pay me enough money to fly my dog in a cargo hold on an airplane. I'm just being honest. I, you couldn't, you could offer me a billion dollars and I wouldn't take it if it meant flying my dog in a cargo hold of a plane. I'm just not going to do it to them for so many reasons. Um, that's the first thing. And again, you know, I think it was even last summer, there was a few, uh, dog deaths that were, you know, they left them on the tarmac. They forgot about them and bad stuff. So I'm not a fan of flying dogs. I'm just saying it simply put, I don't think you should. I'm not an advocate for it. I'm against it. And I don't recommend it. If you have a chartered plane, that's one thing. Even in the cabin, you have a small dog. Guys, I, I, I just, I guess it's, I don't know if it's the way I was raised. I personally don't believe in putting other people out. Unless your dog is just the most perfect angel ever and is quiet and no one would even know that there's a dog there, I wouldn't bring a dog on an airplane um, in, in the passenger area. I wouldn't want to affect other passengers like that. What if you sit somebody next to somebody who's allergic? It's an enclosed environment. I mean, I don't know. That's, that's just me personally. I just don't understand having that need to bring my dog on an airplane. So the road trip is the way to go. <laughs> All right. So I like the road trips with our dogs if we're doing it safely. If you're staying at a dog-friendly hotel, if you're paying the proper pet fees, I am all for it. Okay. So I have no problem with that. But again, just make sure you're prepared. Now, if you have a dog that's uneasy in the car, you need to work on that before your road trip. You need to hire a professional, hire a trainer, and start tackling that. Look, I know a lot of vets just want to throw medications at dogs for, for anxiety in the car and things like that. I don't recommend that. I recommend working through it from a training perspective and a behavioral perspective, okay? So something to consider. If your dog is uneasy, let's not go for that 20-hour road trip with them unless we work on it. We want to make sure they have a comfortable ride, a safe ride, and that they're happy on your road trip as well. And again, other things we want to consider... If you're going to be like myself and you want to go hiking with your dogs, make sure you're prepared for that, guys. I highly recommend bringing a doggy first aid kit. And for that matter, even just on a road trip, it's not a bad idea to have a doggy first aid kit with you. Okay, they, they, they sell them on Amazon. They sell them at pet stores. You can find these awesome little kits. They come with all kinds of great stuff for worst case scenario situations. Um, so again, you have to think about this. If I'm going to be going hiking, kayaking, adventuring with my dog, I need to make sure I have the proper stuff with me, such as a doggy first aid kit, portable uh, dog water bottles, portable dog bowls. Maybe if you're going for a long hike, you're bringing food with you, not only for yourself, but for your pet as well. Okay. So just things to consider is once you get there, what do you do with your dog? Um, now, when we go into the mountains, we usually do like a, not an Airbnb. Well, I guess we have done Airbnb before. Whatever. Point is we do like a rental type of thing. And we always make sure with the owners, you know, we don't, we don't bring extra dogs that we're not supposed to. We, we clear everything with them and we make sure everything's all kosher, all on the right side. Um, so I implore you to do the same, guys. Let's be smart about traveling with our dogs this summer and be respectful for that matter. I wish there was a little more of that in the world. And it can start with you with something as simple as your pet. Hey, I know there was a little bit of a kind of a, <laughs> kind of a soapbox um segment today, but I've been just seeing a lot of dogs out in public in inappropriate 
places. And I have no problem taking your dog out in public as long as it's an appropriate place. They're well-trained to me is the most, I mean, guys, if everybody's dog just freaking behaved, I think we'd be surprised how many more places we could take our dogs. But the reality is that's why we aren't allowed to. I still think a grocery store is an absurd place and a restaurant is an absurd place for a pet to be. There's no reason for it, unless it's outdoor seating. I love bringing my dogs out to outdoor seating with me. I have no problem with that. But once again, their butts aren't on the table. They're not eating food off the table. Like, let's just be real, right? Okay, so head on the shoulders by traveling with our pets. Let's make sure we're being smart, respectful, and hey, have a good summer out there. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the history of Animal Mascots 101. Now today, we're going to be talking about the University of Maryland. Now, the University of Maryland, they were originally established in 1856 as Maryland Agricultural College. It was renamed in 1916 to Maryland State College, and then the college merged with the state's professional schools in Baltimore to become the University of Maryland in 1920. Now, the official mascot for the school is the Terrapins. Yes, the Diamondback Terrapin, to be specific, a native turtle to the state of Maryland. Now, it has been the school uh, mascot for well over 80 years. It all started out in 1932 when then-football coach Dr. H. Curly Bird, I just love saying that name, Dr. H. Curly Bird made the recommendation that the Diamondback Terrapin be made the official mascot. The school newspaper named the Diamondback at the time, coincidentally, that they had put out an article for a search for a new official mascot. Being a native species and found often in the Chesapeake Bay, it seemed like a logical choice. The mascot eventually earned the name of Testudo. However, the origins of the name, well, they're a bit of a mystery. Now, one theory is that the name comes from the scientific classification for turtle, which is Testudinese, and another theory that's out there is the word testudo itself is derived from the Latin word for a protective shelter used for a Roman soldier's head, which looked similar in shape to a tortoise shell. Now, to immortalize their new mascot, the Student Government Association, class of 1933, they decided to gift a bronze statue of the new mascot as, its, as their graduation gift. Now, they were able to raise some of the funds by themselves, with more of the funds coming from the student yearbook program. Now, Coach Bird made the suggestion that the students reach out uh, to alumnus and member of class of 1904, Edwin C. Mayo, the president of Gorham Manufacturing. Now, he agree agreed to build the 1,300-pound bronze terrapin statue at cost. Now, it was arranged that a live diamondback terrapin would be brought to the factory in Rhode Island so that sculptor uh, Aristide, sorry, uh, interesting name, Aristide Cianfarani could cast it. I had to say, I had to repeat that a couple times to get it. Now, the school's big reveal of the statue was awesome. They covered the statue, I love this, with a large cloth. They attached some ribbons from the cloth to the turtle that was used as the model, and then they let him just walk forward ever so slowly <laughs> as the, as the uh, sheet slowly came off, right? <laughs> I, just, I can just see it. It's hilarious. Now, in the beginning, Testudo had a perch that the statue sat in uh, sat on in front of Ritchie Coliseum. Unfortunately, though, this came to be the scene of multiple crimes against the mascot. Rivals would actually visit the campus. They'd paint the turtle, deface the pedestal, and even kidnap him. In 1947, when Testudo was captured by Johns Hopkins students, many Maryland students rushed to Baltimore and laid siege to the building where the mascot was held. Now, even though 200 police officers were called in to control the riot, 
The siege quickly turned into a party. Man, why can't that happen more, right? Two years after the first kidnapping, Bird, who was now the president of the university, he received a call from a fraternity at the University of Virginia telling him to please get Testudo off their lawn. <laughs> now, once he was returned, he was hidden away in a campus carpentry shed until 1951. Now, to make sure Testudo stayed on his perch where he belonged, they ended up filling him with 700 pounds of cement and attached him to the perch in front of Bird Stadium. Unfortunately, though, this didn't really stop the students from painting the turtle, especially students from Johns Hopkins. Now, Testudo had one more move in 1965, where he was placed by students overlooking McKeldon Mall, where he has remained ever since. The answer to today's trivia question, what is the difference between a turtle and a tortoise? A tortoise is a land animal, and a turtle lives in the water. Now, all tortoises are in fact turtles, as they belong to the same order, but turtles are not tortoises, right? Like square and a rectangle kind of thing. Uh, now, from a visual perspective, a tortoise is going to have a more rounded and, and more dome-shaped shell, whereas a turtle is going to have more elongated, kind of shaped to cut through the water. Next on Speaking Dogcast, it's the listener Q&A. First question today comes from Erica from Columbus, Ohio. Erica says, I have a Yorkie who is three years old. Now she just had her first dental, and my vet said that I really need to be brushing her teeth at least a few times per week, but she does not like getting her teeth brushed. A few times a week seems like a lot to me, but I just don't know any better. Any advice for getting her to accept the multi-week dentist appointment with me. <laughs> Didn't know you'd become a uh, veterinary dentist, did you, Erica? Yeah, look, every vet's going to tell you to brush your dog's teeth all the time. And I, look, I, I, this is one of those things where I kind of go back and forth on it. it, it, it look, I'll be honest. Do I brush every single one of my dog's teeth daily? Pfft, absolutely not. Um, are most people going to do it even once a week? Most likely not. So for the vet to tell you to do it a couple times a week probably gets you to do it once a week you know, uh, which is probably what you should be doing it for a smaller dog. And that's part of the thing. The smaller dog, smaller the mouth, the more the tartar plaque, all that stuff builds up. And honestly, just the kind of the crappier their teeth are. It's just, it's just a consistent thing among smaller dogs. Uh, so that's even more the reason your vet is telling you it's important to get your dog's teeth brushed. Look, regular dentals is one of the best ways to, to keep up with this stuff. Yes, you should be brushing your dog's teeth, but the regular dentals, it's what's really going to get in there and make sure we're getting it clean. Doing a lot more than you can do just with a toothbrush, you know? Now, with that said, uh, what I would probably start doing is just taking it really slow. You know, bring out the toothbrush with no toothpaste. Maybe just touch it to her face every, very gently, you know, just very gently. Just kind of go up very lightly, touch it, and then give her a treat. Take the, take the toothbrush away, give her a treat. Touch it, give take away, give a treat. I would do that for a while until she's totally comfortable. She's almost putting her head into the toothbrush to get the treat, right? You could even put a word with it, touch or something, you know, telling her to kind of touch it so we can start associating, hey, lean forward and get the toothbrush. Then I'll slowly work it up to maybe lifting her lip up and putting the toothbrush underneath the lip, pull it away, treat. 
Okay, little by little, piece by piece, you're gonna build her up to accepting the toothbrush in the mouth and then cleaning the teeth, okay? But this is a process, it's a process. It's gonna be a slow process and I want you to take your time with it because the whole idea is if your dog doesn't like the toothbrush, essentially your dog is viewing the toothbrush as an aversive, right? They're working to avoid it, uh, kind of a form of punishment, if you will. And if you will, that's what it is. And so they're working to avoid the toothbrush. And so we have to recondition that toothbrush to be something they like and want to accept. And not only that, well again, accept, put themselves toward it even. That's what'll end up happening if you really do this correctly. Your dog is almost gonna seek out the toothbrush when they see it, okay? And so that's the idea. We have to recondition it. So it's important that you take it slowly because you don't wanna come in too fast, too hard, move forward too quickly, prog uh, progress too quickly. You don't wanna do any of that because it's already an aversive to your dog. So take it slowly, take your time, and recondition it with the food. And uh, you know, a couple weeks maybe, you'll have your dog accepting the toothbrush. Next question. This comes from James from Allentown, Pennsylvania. James says, my new wife wants our, or my new wife, excuse me, my, <laughs> my wife wants our new six-month-old puppy. Don't tell your wife about your new wife. Six, <laughs> my wife wants our new six-month-old puppy to sleep in our bed with us, but I do not want to have a battle for my space in bed every night. It's one thing if we can teach him to fit in between us, but I just don't want it to become a problem where we can't get him out of the bed. Any thoughts on this? All right, James. Yeah, thanks for the question. You know, you, you may have listened to my thoughts on dogs being on furniture in beds. And personally, I don't have a problem with it. And that's just it. Personally, even professionally, I don't have a problem with it. But it's a personal decision. Whether you want your dogs on or off furniture, beds, that is totally up to you. It's your dog. It's your rules. I will say I'm always in, and I like, because you're on the right thoughts uh, process there. Um, I like what you're saying, because you don't want it to become a problem. Exactly. That's where I, that's where my rule on on or off furniture begins is, is it a problem? Can I say off and the dog gets off? Can I say come up and they get up? Do you have control over it? Right? So I would start practicing an off command with your dog. If you're okay with getting him on the bed eventually and teaching him to sleep, look, teach him to sleep between you. That might take a little time to teach him space, show him where you want him. It may take a little while for him to understand that, but we can start getting him to understand simple things. Like when you say off, get off, when you say get on, get on. Okay. Um, Grab his collar. I've got so much snoring in this room right now with dogs. This whole episode has been snoring. Um, <laughs> guide them off using their collar. And then once they get off, say, good, give them a treat. You don't want to make it this huge deal. That's the thing. We don't want to make a big deal about getting on and off the bed. Just make it this nonchalant off. Good boy. Treat. Make it a regular thing. Um, so, yeah, you know, that's my two cents on it is that I don't have a problem with the dog on the bed, but I agree with you in the sense that we should have control over it. So it's good to start creating that control with just maybe some commands, off, on, whatever you want it to be, but teaching your dog that when we say off, you get off, when you get on, we get on, and then we can start working on the body language side of it of, hey, this is my personal space, and okay, that's a second battle. So uh, try that out, see if that helps out. And actually, excuse me, I skipped one thing. I said, oh my goodness, my brain flew the coop here because I got distracted with your, saying your new wife. Um, Six-month-old puppy. This is a puppy. So I am going to draw the line in the sand here, James. I don't think a six-month-old puppy should be sleeping in bed with you at night. I just don't. Uh, multiple reasons, multiple reasons. Number one is housebreaking. If your dog isn't fully housebroken, at some point they're going to wake up in the middle of the night, get off that bed and pee, and you're never going to know until it's too late, of course, until you step in it the next morning. Um, so that's the first reason I don't like it. Second thing is it's a puppy. We need to still establish boundaries, rules uh, with our puppies. It's just like with a child. You know, We need to have certain rules, boundaries um, that need to be established, and it's no different. When they're a young puppy, you need to put those rules in place. So personally, your dog 
you know, personally, professionally, gotta listen to me. Your dog needs to be in the crate at night as a puppy, and my generalized rule is they need to be staying there until about a year old. Every dog's a little different, but six months to me is a little bit young to be starting to let them out of the crate and into the bed. So food for thought there. You're not even at that point yet where you should be letting your dog out of the crate to sleep in bed with you. But once you get there, hey, that other advice should help out. So good luck to you, James. And uh, hey, hopefully you'll get a good night's sleep with your dog. That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday and you're going to want to check them out. If you love what you're hearing, don't forget to click that five-star review. Leave me a rating. Leave me a review. Give me that thumbs up. I would really appreciate it. You can follow me on Instagram at speakadogcast. Become a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash speakadogcast. I would like to thank my patrons, my pup supporter, Regula Wright, and my dog friend, Maureen Crossan. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, get out there and walk your dog.